0: Welcome to History Conspiracy Podcast, where we provide the audio, and you decide whether it's history or conspiracy. If you would like to support this podcast, you can go to paypal.com and donate any amount. To History Conspiracy Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your support. One of the doctors to treat President Kennedy at Parkland Hospital was Dr. Charles James Carrico. Here is his first hand account of what happened inside Trauma Room 1. Do you recall
1: when you heard, or any you thought you might have had, about him coming to Dallas on a political trip? Uh, I, I knew he was coming,
2: but there was a lot of, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, really uh, negative uh, statements in the paper about uh, uh, Kennedy and, and some real hateful stuff in the paper, and we were aware of that, and, and I thought that was, uh, at the time, I I didn't think that was going to help anybody. Uh, but I didn't have any real thoughts about his coming or any, any concept Did that danger. cause
1: at the hospital, uh, I guess particularly since this was a place where uh, some, <laughs> someone who would, uh, what happened with Nashville be brought, was there any uh, advanced preparation in any way, just a contingency? Uh, plan if something happened while the president was in the city? No. As a matter of fact, one of the big differences in
2: then and now is not just not only the hospital's preparation, but the uh, Secret Service preparation for for presidential business. At that time, there hadn't been a president assassinated in probably 50 years. I don't know the exact time. And it never really seriously occurred to anybody that that the president would actually be harmed, at least to to anybody I knew. They uh, you don't as, know? Oh, go ahead. As you're well aware, right now, when a president uh, visits, visits any city, the Secret Service precedes him. They select the hospital where he'll go. They select the physician. Uh, a whole situation set up. His medical records are, are made available. Uh, he's followed by a, a, a paramedic van, uh, et cetera. Uh, in 1963, there was, as far as I know, and I'm Pretty sure I know this. No pre-planning. The reason they came to Parkland is simply because they're headed that way, and that's where all the injured patients went. Uh, the uh, we didn't. There was no uh, selection of hospital or
1: letting us know his blood type or anything else. Uh, so the, the Secret Service did not. While they had been around town, uh, I'm sure. Yes, I'm confident they've been around the town with the parade like route and the right. luncheon arrangements and all this. Sure. Uh, as far as you know, they never came to. the
2: as far as I know, there were no Any of the hospital arrangements, and certainly there was no mm-hmm. information provided about the president's health status, or anything like that.
1: Well, uh, zeroing in on the day of November twenty-second, uh, nineteen sixty-three, Kennedy, can you kind of reconstruct your day for us and were you at the hospital overnight? Did you get up that morning? Were you right? right? I, I don't. Uh, I don't remember the early morning. The the uh,
2: we, I was on, actually assigned to Surgery C, which is an elective uh, surgery service. Uh, and it was our day to admit patients. So we came in, I'm confident, we came in early that morning and made rounds. It was also our clinic day. We didn't operate that day. We had our, our basically, office. So uh, we, uh, early in the morning, probably 8, 30 or 9, went over to, to our clinic and started seeing patients, both patients we'd operate on and patients who were we're being evaluated for for new operations. Uh, about 11:30, uh, we were getting pretty close to uh, through with our, our clinic, and we got a call from the emergency room that there were three patients down there to be evaluated for admission. This was not President Kennedy. This were these were three patients who had come to Parkland for uh, for care. Uh, the uh, and. Somebody needed to go down, one of our service needed to go down and start seeing those patients and evaluating them. We also had uh, scheduled a, uh, a special x-ray where a patient we thought had blood clots in his lungs. And somebody had to go down and participate in doing that x-ray study. Uh, the x-ray study sounded like a whole lot more fun than, than working up three patients. So uh, Jerry Gustafson, who was a year ahead of me in the program, and I flipped. And he won the coin flip. He got He had the... Privilege of going to do the X-ray study, and I went down to the emergency room to start evaluating the uh, the patients that we were we were going to end up admitting. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got down to the emergency room.
1: That's why you were there at, an hour later, I guess, right. about just about just about 12:30. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you recall having any thoughts or any discussion about O.G. Oh, were missing the parade or anything like that, or is that just you know?
2: I the only we didn't no. the only mm-hmm. the only comment I made. Uh, I remember, and I'm not sure if I remember it or I remember Dr. Jenkins talking about this. Dr. Jenkins commented on the president uh,
1: being in town
2: and uh, mm-hmm. hoped everything went well.
1: So, do you remember sort of exactly uh, how you first heard, what you were doing at the time, uh, a, a dispatch came in? Well, right. We were,
2: uh,
1: again, I may be telling you more than you want to
2: hear. And no, so, no, we, we, want, all, we want to hear it all. <laughs> the, the, uh, The other thing which is different, we talked about how different things are.
1: Yes.
2: Right now, as as you know, there there are uh, mobile intensive care units, really paramedic-equipped vans, EMSs, who, who pick up injured patients, pick up ill patients. They have direct radio communications with the hospitals. We know what's coming. We can actually help direct their care before the patients get here. In 63, none of that existed. I mean, that all started really about 69. Dallas really did have a very sophisticated system for the time, but it consisted of some of the ambulances having radios which connect with the police dispatcher. And the police dispatcher would then call the hospital and say, you know, X patients are coming. Uh, There was frequently uh, some confusion in all that communication with several people. So uh, a lot of times we got a call from the police dispatcher, which turned out to be a false alarm or overstated. So that leads up to what happened then. we, uh, One of the nurses came out and told Dick Delaney, Richard Delaney, who was actually in charge of the emergency room that day, that she had just got a call from the police dispatcher, and the president had been shot. and was uh, on his way to the hospital. Uh, Only the president? That
1: that's was all, that, that was, was the, first. the
2: message I remember. president's okay. been shot. He's on his way to the hospital. Uh, the, uh, I mean, the obvious question is, is, what do you do? Well, first thing you do is you don't want to believe it. You know, and, and with all the misinformation that, that happened in a situation like that, it was easy to say yeah, it must be wrong I and mean, it can't be right. But the other thing you do is you get start getting ready. So uh, we ha- the nurses paged the appropriate people to come help take care of an injured patient. And they paged the, the surgery team, the, mur- the uh, rest of the surgery team on call the uh, chief resident who was ron jones who's now chief of surgery at baylor yeah anyone
1: you can identify by name would be helpful yeah
2: matt yeah. malcolm perry who was the, the attending on call that day uh, dr tom shires who was the chief of surgery he was actually in galveston uh, given a uh, paper but uh, obviously the people in the emergency room didn't know that but basically they page the whole resuscitation team uh, and we hoped it wasn't a, we hoped very much it was a false alarm, right? Yeah. We also were, you know, there's always a risk that you can be calling it a false alarm. Anyway, it seemed like two or three minutes uh, after we got the message that uh, the door to the emergency room came open and, and uh, a patient was rolled in, uh, and uh, it that was, Governor Connolly, as a matter of fact. And the reason Governor Connolly was brought in first, I believe, is because he was sitting in the jump seat. In, well, in that's the explanation. They had to remove him before the Right, so the they had to get the, the governor out of the way, and they brought him in first. Uh, so we looked at uh, Governor Connolly, and he had a, uh, a, uh, a large wound in the front of his chest and was actually unconscious from, from the abnormal breathing that results from that large wound. Uh, we knew he was hurt badly. Uh, we, knew, we figured we could treat him if that was all was wrong, and we also knew it wasn't the president. It didn't occur to either Delaney or I who it was. We were only interested in who it wasn't, yes. and it was not the president. So we kind of he- heaved this great sigh of relief and uh, said, you know, maybe it's a Secret Service man, but we'll take care of him. And so we, roll- we rolled him into trauma room two, which is big, really the
1: biggest trauma room. and. Uh, did that cause you to divide your team up in any sense in well, terms the, of expertise? Not really, because I mean the beauty of Parkland then and
2: now is is uh, is the contingency. I mean, you, there's a you, you start out you have a team, but you have tremendous backup, and so you can always get more more help and expertise. I guess nothing's always, mm-hmm. but you can handle an immense amount of work when you need to. Yeah. But basically, Delaney and I both went in the room with him. We knew the rest of the support was on the way. Uh, the way you treat a wound like that is you plug the hole. Basically, when you breathe, air normally goes in here. If you got a hole this big, air goes in there. So you plug that hole,
1: that
2: and uh, okay. you plug that hole, and then the air starts going in the right way, and the governor started waking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, So about that time, another patient was rolled into trauma room one, uh, and Delaney and I kind of looked at each other, and I'm not sure how we decided, but basically we decided Delaney would stay with the governor, and I'd go see about the patient in the other room. And that's how I ended up
1: being in the, the room. And in that room, do you recall at that time, who was there exactly when? Uh,
2: Mrs. Kennedy was kind of standing by the door. My recollection is there were two men uh, in the room, and I assume they were the driver or Secret Service people. Uh, they. Very rapidly, stepped aside when when uh, we came in, and uh, did anybody did Miss Kennedy speak to you? or of These I people, I or? don't recall any spoken interchange. Uh, I think but they were getting
1: getting out getting out of
2: your yeah, way. they 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 they, they uh, clearly saw we, we were coming in to take care of things, and Miss Kennedy, as I, as I recall, stood by the door for a long time, and the
1: two the two gentlemen. Uh, I never saw them again that I recognized. From this point, uh, probably you're going to need as much as you can to give us sort of specific descriptions that, the, that a medical professional would recognize, okay. and then maybe also the kind of lay person, okay. like what, what you saw, how you approached the problem, who did, who was doing what. Okay. Uh, the
2: uh, well, the, the, the uh, people that were there were, that I remember, and I'm, I'm sure there were others, were myself, a nurse, Diane Bowerin, B- uh, B-O-W-R-E-N, I think, uh, and two interns. Uh, Marty White, who's uh, now uh, well, head of the organ bank here in Dallas. There's a lot of people still around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, an, and an oral surgery resident, whose name I don't remember right now, oral surgery intern. So that was the team. The, the, your job in a patient who's severely injured, uh, it kind of goes in the steps of do what it takes to keep the patient alive. Uh, then you go back and evaluate uh, the injuries more in detail and kind of make your long-term plan. And the keeping alive first you got to have way to breathe. Second, you got to be breathing. Third, your heart's got to be pumping. and fourth, your, your head's got to be working. your, your nervous system's got to be working. So the, your job is exactly that you see what's going on with the airway you see what's going on with breathing you see what's going on with the circulation and then you look at at neurological function uh, the uh, usually one person kind of takes charge and everybody else one one team gets some the IVs going to support circulation the nurse kind of gets the patient undressed and, and gets the keeps things flowing and that's pretty much what we did uh, dark Marty white and uh, the other intern uh, started doing a cut down on the president's right ankle. I think cut down is where you where you start an IV by actually making an incision and putting a little tube in the vein, or a big tube in the vein so you can give a lot of blood and fluid if you need to. Uh, Diane and I looked at the president overall, saw that he was uh, was not breathing. Mean, he was breathing very
1: erratically. Called it agonal respiration. It's kind of gasping. He was. The, the impression was. That he was not dead at this point, he was dead at this point, uh, uh, did you do this anyway. Yeah, Yeah, the, the, uh, well, we looked at him and he still had some breathing, he still had some heartbeat. Uh,
2: he had a terrible looking wound, but that wound you, you kind of really defer to later in terms of evaluating in detail. Uh, the principle is, uh, if you got somebody who's got a what looks like a terrible injury in his dead, First thing you do is you, you do the things I talked about. You get the airway going, you get them breathing, then you see, then you have time to evaluate the extent of the injury. Uh, uh, i told folks before that the thoughts that, that I remember going through in my head, it uh, takes longer to describe them than it took to have them, were, were first, the uh, president's had it. I mean, he's not going to make it. And that was right. Second is, uh, we got to do something. Uh, that was the political, what like the medical thoughts. You know, can't, we can't just let the president die. Third thought was, uh, gosh, what if we get him alive and then he's a vegetable? And the, the, the rational thought was, treat this patient like anybody else. Get his airway under control, get him breathing, get his circulation going. Then you can can uh, decide about all that other situation. So that's what we did. Uh,
1: to well, you yeah, obviously must Really felt being aware as a president, the sense of responsibility. Were you thinking, in terms of history, or just, gosh, this. Well, is uh, the,
2: uh, I mean, the, I guess all those, this is on my shoulders, or those, those brief
1: thoughts, and, the, and
2: it, you know, it took a long time to say It, it took about that long to have them. Were were uh, were the the non-medical thoughts, if you will, you know. I mean, the, the uh, I guess my major thoughts were. Uh, You know, I I really didn't think about the historical impact, What's that's going to do. I said, well, our job is to take care of the president, and that's uh, I We got kind of the reputation of medicine and everything else on our back for a second there. And then that's when the rational thoughts took over and says, okay, we know how to do this. I mean, whether this is the president or or whoever, we know how to take care of this guy. And so uh, it became pretty much... uh, unemotional and, uh, auto, not automatic, but dispassionate at that point.
1: Professional aspect kicked in, as it did, I think, with law enforcement agents sure. and reporters and everything.
2: Right. So there was uh, that, that short personal, emotional, what am I going to do feeling, and then the professional aspect, as you say, kicked in, and, and you know what to do. I and mean, that's what you're mm-hmm. trained
1: to do. Okay, so, so kind of go ahead. And okay, so
2: it. the, the uh, procedure then is to first see if the president's breathe has an airway and and he really didn't when we looked at him he had uh, we saw this wound up here in the side of his head
1: great big okay that was readily apparent oh yeah he was laying on his back laying on his back and came in and that was obvious would would this be the point you want to kind of illustrate that in terms of of Where on his head and if it's
2: yeah, what did what did you see? That's fine Ken. It can it's, it's kind of out of order medically, but it's probably okay. in order forensically Okay, <laughs> yeah, it the the uh, what I remember and I was telling dr. Montgomery earlier with the president laying on his back I could see the whole wound in his head And that's important because that really doesn't fit perfectly what we wrote down later so that meant it had to be in the uh, well, it, it was about right here, as I recall, and about as big as I'm showing with my hand—about, you know, a big chunk of bone and scalp missing. Uh, and the fact that you could see all of it from the front meant that it involved the parietal bone, which is this big skull bone, and the temporal bone, which is this big skull bone. So we saw that
1: hole. We saw uh, he had a little hole right. Was that ab- another sort of controversial thing? Was like, was this above his? His collar line or slightly below okay, it? By, by the time do you, what do you call it I looked, that? Diane, the nurse, had,
2: had started taking his clothes off, which was her job. Yeah. So I really didn't don't know don't whether know exactly it was through the collar was. or not, but it was certainly at the collar line. It was just yeah. about right there, just to the right
1: of the trachea, yeah.
2: and yeah. just uh, certainly
1: where his collar should have been. And she was the one that removed the tie, as far as you know? Or yeah, I, I, mean, I think I, it was cut off. Is that right? That's I, correct. I, uh, Would that
2: be normal? Standard, yeah. The, what no. uh, I, you know, I was doing other stuff. I was yes. lifting his head and stuff, and Diane was doing that. So what you normally do is just take scissors, right there, oh, or okay. right there, so that both gets the collar and the tie beside the knot, and then you just go right on down, take shirt off, and uh, then you can see the patient's chest and breathing and all that. So I, that's Diane Bowen was doing that while I was. Actually, trying to uh, evaluate what we're going to do. I think I just messed up your microphone, did I? Uh, yeah.
1: You get it okay? Yeah. Okay. All right.
2: The uh, uh, anyway, so the next thing, since he really wasn't breathing very well, the next thing to do was was try to get him breathing better, uh, and that involved uh, putting in an endotracheal tube, which yes. is a tube which goes through the mouth down into the windpipe, uh, and uh, you can breathe through. So we got that done. Uh, and at that time, we could see that there was some some uh, blood beside the, the, the larynx, which is, is uh, down deep in the throat. Oh,
1: OK. There's but some inside. Along,
2: along about here? Yeah, well, that would be inside. You actually take a lighted instrument, and you look down and see the, the, the windpipe inside the, at, the, at the bottom of the throat. And then you put a tube in it. When I looked down there, I could see that there was uh, some some bruising and some some uh, abnormal swelling over to the right side of the the windpipe and we were able to slip the tube in into his trachea and uh, should have been able to to breathe
1: better at that point uh, that uh, head wound which uh, you're well aware of been been such a point of controversy and various interpretations and so forth did you have any impression at that point say the, the direction was a, a shot that came from the front, from the rear, or it just? No, I mean, the
2: two, two, two answers to that uh, really didn't, and that's not what you think about at a time like that, although obviously you can't separate thoughts that much. The other is that that, that wound certainly, this wound certainly looked like an exit wound. I mean, just because things were just
1: really blown, blown away. Uh, okay, exit. Towards the back, you're saying? No, or just out. No, just, just out. It no. looks like. You mean, you got wounds that go
2: in, wounds that go out. Oh. This was an out. I okay. see. Okay, and they, that was the what it looked like. But it did. There was nothing about it that would say whether the entrance had come from the
1: front or from the back. I see. But this looked like where a bullet went out. I see. Once again, I might emphasize. Now this was really, in a, in a sense, routine. This team worked with these kind of emergencies. Every day, right? Correct. And so, uh, that aspect of it was uh, uh, not that unusual for you. Correct. Okay. And also
2: the, the order of things. See, you you try to keep the patient alive. You try to treat their wounds, and then you then in the patients where you're not successful, then we would work with the medical examiner to uh, try to figure out, help them figure out the forensics. They do the. They
1: were really the forensic experts. We provided the okay. clinical information and sort of how, as much as we can clarify the two wounds uh, did you ever uh, determine exactly in your own mind where the uh the shoulder or neck wound and just recently now something's come out about uh, uh gerald ford who's on the warren commission uh, slightly altering uh a description there that's kind right. of brought some stirred the issue again sure sure the well the
2: the, the, the simple answer is the only wounds I saw, the only wounds we saw, were this wound here and this big hole here. Mm-hmm. We, we never saw the uh, wounds in the president's back. Th- and, uh, the, the medical process is we got the, his airway going, then we cooked him up to the ventilator and uh, we're trying to help him breathe. Then, you gotta answer, how's his breathing going? And to, that, to answer that, you gotta ask, are there any major holes in his chest wall like the governor had in his chest wall, which would impair his breathing. So you don't always roll the patient over to look at that, particularly in the situation we're in, you don't roll them over. You just put your hands behind the patient's back, down about the belt, and then kind of move up, feeling, to try to make sure that the the body cavities are intact. And in doing that, did not detect any big holes, and obviously didn't uh, see what apparently turned out to be two small wounds, one kind of over the shoulder and one back here uh, way back in the lower lower back of the head. So we never saw those two wounds
1: in the back. That's and that's the long answer to a short okay. question. No, well, we, we probably need long answers to almost all the okay. questions. <laughs> In that sense. And,
2: and uh, the reason we didn't is that, that that was, at least at that point, that was not part of the appropriate medical exam to try to find. That would have re- actually rolling uh, mm-hmm. the patient over washing blood off, et cetera. And clearly in somebody that you're struggling to keep alive, you don't do that. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there anything else we need to fill in here before, say, the point where it was determined he was dead or was declared dead, and who called that shot? Uh,
2: not really, or we could fill. I mean, there's some medical stuff which, which we could fill in briefly. Uh, after we got the two men, tried to breathe for him, he still wasn't breathing very well. And his heart rate was slowing down uh, and his heart actually stopped. Uh, when his heart stopped, by that time, Dr. Perry, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jenkins, uh, Dr. Giesecki, the Assistant Chief of Anesthesia, uh, Dr. Baxter, a number of people were there, uh, they started CPR. Uh, the, uh, because there was concerns about whether he had tension pneumothorax or not, and we hadn't had time to get an x-ray, they actually put chest tubes in both chests. Those are things to, so if you do have a collapsed lung, it can expand it and you can breathe. Uh, concern about uh, whether or not the endotracheal tube was actually where it should be because of the tracheal wound. so Dr. Perry did a tracheostomy, which is where you make an incision in the neck to uh, get a shorter tube in more directly of the trachea, so there's no question it's in place. And I guess all that is important in terms of, of uh, Certainly. explaining what was done and a lot of things that happened in that 20 minutes. Uh, as I'm sure you're aware, the, the tracheostomy wound was right through this uh, this wound, I'm sorry, this wound in the neck, uh, and that caused some confusion later, but that's where the tracheostomy wound had to be. Uh, then the uh, we gave him some steroids because we had remembered from uh, some stuff in the, in the press that he
1: probably had uh, abnormal adrenal glands. And, but uh, had, uh, you've already covered this and since then. You talked about the uh, Secret Service. You didn't have any, you didn't have his medical record there. That's correct. Uh, on hands you would have today. Correct.
2: Uh, uh, the uh, So at this point, we had gotten his, gotten his airway under control, gotten him breathing, trying to, to make his circulation better. His circulation wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. His heart had stopped. Uh, but we'd done all we could do to get things stable. Kemp Clark, who is the chief of neurosurgery, uh, evaluated the situation, evaluated the head wound in, in much more detail than, uh, than I did. And uh, then Kemp Clark uh, was the one, that the chief of neurosurgery, was the one that, that actually pronounced him dead. And this was some 20 minutes
1: later, or about yeah, something like that. Something. Like that. The uh, priest had come in. Uh, actually, Dr. Clark uh, said he
2: basically said it's time to stop the resuscitation. Uh, he would the for whatever reason the pres the decision made not to actually pronounce the president dead until after the priest had come in and him given him the last rites. So we stopped uh, treatment but Dr. Clark didn't pronounce him until after uh, the last rites
1: for... Do you know who, do you recall who qualified Mrs. Kennedy? Was that one of the medical team or did you... I don't know. don't recall that? Know. No. And uh, so from that point, uh, what happened? Well, from
2: that point, uh, my job was the medical part, I guess the, the patient care part of my job was over. Had uh, two things to do. One is we had to... to uh, as we do for all patients, write a brief report in the emergency uh, room records of the treatment and what we saw and what we did. And my other job was to to find those three patients who I had been working on before the president came in and uh, take care of them. We did uh, sit down. I, I remember one thing, which probably know. Walked out of the trauma room one and been to the big emergency room, which Twenty minutes before had been a big city-county emergency room full of people being treated, etc. Uh, all the patients were gone when I walked out. They'd been moved elsewhere. Uh, the uh, people in the room were by and large uh, folk, men with coats off, shirts and ties on, and guns on their hip. Mm. And uh, a couple were talking on the phone to Washington. And uh, uh, That's when I guess really the, the whole thing kind of hit me. You know, it just uh, up up till then, except for that brief moment, it had been professional uh, work. And I walked out there and realized that uh, not only had my little world changed, but uh, that uh, what the whole world had changed and it changed that quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I was I was smoked at that time. As a lot of us did, we thought it was a cute thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. The, so, I started to light a cigarette imagine lighting a cigarette in an emergency room now. <laughs> that was common in 1963. Mm-hmm. So, I started to light a cigarette and uh, was, uh, realized I was trembling so that I really couldn't get, uh, had trouble getting a match to the cigarette. But, uh, kind of got that under control and uh, sat down to uh, write uh, my, rec- my recollections and this was just
1: individually. It was not the team.
2: Or no, e- each, each physician writes their own report independently. There's no, there's no uh, proscription against exchanging information, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure you could ask the guy next to you, where do you mean, where was that wound? What was involved? And uh, I mean, we did. I do not remember if we did that or not, but
1: uh, we also wrote that's our
2: that's records and
1: uh, okay. also kind of thinking in terms of, of any conversation you might have had about. The effect on others is that being part of that process, uh, did y'all talk about it later, if not then, or? Uh, you mean just how everybody was dealing with it? Yeah, how, how it affected you personally? Yeah.
2: Uh, we really, we I'm sure we talked about it some, but but we didn't talk about it as a group, and there was none of the debriefing which would, would happen happen now. Uh, but it, it was, we just kind of went back to work. I mean, I, the... Uh, but we finished writing our reports. As you know, by the time we finished writing our reports, they had uh, taken the president's body away. So so our reports did not get to Bethesda for time for the autopsy.
1: Uh, what do you know about that issue? There's a big conflict about removing the body, uh, state law. The autopsy should have been done yeah. here. Uh, at the time, did that s- seem significant to you, that what happened, that it was removed? It, uh, no, I, I uh,
2: uh, was a little surprised in a professional sense, and, 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 and uh, kind of in this sense. As I said, what would usually have happened with a patient who came in and died of a gunshot wound is we would have tried to keep him alive. We'd have done whatever we had to do medically. We probably would have spent more time after the patient was dead kind of trying to figure out the forensics ourselves than we did with the president, but, but it didn't seem appropriate to do that with the president. Uh, but, it, but it really wouldn't have mattered because when Earl Rose, who was the new county medical examiner, did his autopsy, if he had questions about the treatment, he would call us. Matter of fact, he'd frequently call us down just to teach us. He'd call the house staff and say, okay, here's this patient you treated, tell me what you did. And, and let me show you how to recognize exit wounds, entrance wounds, et cetera. So we, we kind of all assumed that uh, there was no reason to, to roll the president over that, that Earl Rose would be doing the autopsy. When the president was uh, taken away, we realized, gee, the body's gone, Earl's not going to do the autopsy, and these guys are not going to have any medical records to go by. Uh, but that, that was kind of the medical Surprise, if you will, didn't think about why they would have done
1: that. Uh, It wasn't related to his competency as a oh,
2: or anything like that. No, zero. I mean, Earl Rose was was, and I think is still recognized as one of the really outstanding uh, forensic pathologists in the country. Uh, Well, but uh, the reason we're given, and it makes sense, is that uh, President knew President Johnson. Uh, was not willing to leave Dallas on Air Force One, President Kennedy's plane, without
1: President Kennedy's body. And so you think it was probably his decision, as opposed to Mrs. Uh, Kennedy, or the I, um, to, you know? I, I really do know. Any supposition on your part? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What I've heard is, is uh, yes. that, it, that President Johnson wouldn't leave without President Kennedy's body, and I, I don't know any facts, uh, but it makes sense. I mean, he, he was a pretty shrewd politician, and you can imagine uh, the impact of, of uh, people saying, boy, he only took the president's job, he took his plane, left town, left, president his, left the president in this
1: mess. Well, I, I recall in the interview we did with uh, Henry Wade, who was the district attorney at the time, and just kind of dismissed that as, he said, well, the only, uh, uh fine was $100 if you removed the sure. body from the state of Texas yeah. was not that big a deal from that point oh. of view.
2: No, it, yeah, the, I mean, the law is, as I understand it, that a murder here, the autopsy, the examination has to be done here. But gosh, it was a president. There's no laws about shot presidents. And, and uh, it's no big... I mean, I, if I'd have been a Secret Service man, I think I'd done the same thing. I'd gotten that body out of here and gotten President Johnson out of here. Because they didn't know if it was a you know, this was a Russian plot. They didn't know if, what, what was going on. So their job was to get Johnson to safety.
1: When uh, the autopsy was performed, the information that came back to, to you or to Dallas, uh, however that came about, uh, what was your reaction then? Do you remember?
2: Well, the first, uh, you know, we, we had, uh, we'd, you know, Friday night had been busy. We're taking care of those three patients that uh, were waiting, and that. Well, I want, I want to get the details but, of that weekend but, uh, too, but sure. this kind of while we're the, on this. The subject. Uh, Saturday morning was uh, our our uh, mortality and morbidity conference. Every Saturday morning, we sat down, and went through all the cases we'd done during the week, and anything that had gone wrong, we analyzed what had gone wrong, and, and uh, which is a fairly typical medical approach to things. So we were in our Saturday morning conference when the phone rang and it was the pathologist in Bethesda trying to get hold of Dr. Malcolm Perry to uh, get some medical information. And that was the first time, I think, that the pathologist in Bethesda knew that there was a wound here. Because all they saw, apparently, was a hole here, a little hole here, a big hole here, and a tracheostomy one. And, it wa- and since they didn't have any medical records, they didn't—they couldn't figure out how in the world three holes connected. So they called uh, Malcolm. And that's when they told him that there was, you know, that these other two wounds were there. And that's when it kind of began to make sense that bullet went in here, came out here, nicked his trachea, maybe hurt his spinal cord, didn't kill him. And then the second bullet went in here hit the bones inside his head, but came out here, and blew that big hole. And, and So that
1: that was the first time we could really put things together in a way that made sense. And what you were hearing from them and, and after those discussions, that did make sense to you? Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh,
2: See, cause out be, of, okay, go because before we had seen this hole and this hole, didn't know whether there were holes back here or not, and we were trying to speculate how these two could connect, and that's it's hard to make any sense out of it.
1: What about also the controversy about the, the bullet that uh, went through President Kennedy, went into Governor Connolly, Out of your experience with our gunshot moves and everything, is is this feasible to you? Uh, it's fe- yes, it is, I, and uh, there's some
2: there's been a lot of analysis on that on, on both sides, and I'm not haven't looked into it in detail, but certainly the concept that a bullet, this first bullet went through here and really hit very little other than muscle in the side of the trachea, which is soft, then went into Governor Connolly's back. And the first time it really discharged a lot of his energy was, was coming out to his chest here. Then then uh, then it then I guess it hit uh, his right or left wrist, I forgot. It must have been his right. Wrist and and hurt the bone, but but it really, uh, if, if you look, that wasn't a terrible destructive wound like this thing was, and then kind of splatted into his thigh. Uh, that that sounds like a lot of a uh, lot of traveling for a bullet, uh, but it's certainly plausible. I mean, you know, bullets do strange things. Bullet, and that was unlike uh, some of the the movie. Suggesting it bounced all over the place. That was pretty much a straight line.
0: You were in that f- that first room working with Dr. Delaney. Mm-hmm. Did you ever realize it was Conley in there?
2: Not until after. No, not until later. I mean.
0: So you left that room to go to the next body, and you didn't know it was the governor Right. When did you realize it was Kennedy in the
2: other room? Oh, as soon as I walked in the door, because that's who we were looking for. Right. <laughs> I mean, we. You know. It, you, What's the old st- story? You see what you're looking for? Uh-huh. We were looking for the president, C- Connolly Wadden him, and it, this, I gotta see this very carefully. It didn't really matter who that was, did it, in terms of, of treating him? We were gonna treat him the same no matter who. Uh, and then when I walked in the room and uh, saw the president, it was obvious it was him, because that was what the tape for running to look for, and, and uh, of course he was uh, very recognizable.
0: Tell us a little bit about
2: the Addison's disease and what was out in the medical community and what you know about that. Yeah, the uh, well, what I know in retrospect, at least what what I believe, is that that uh, President Kennedy had had uh, some severe arthritis, etc. and had uh, been put on steroids for for pain relief or for for relief of inflammation, and when you put people on Big doses of steroids, long enough, it actually the adrenal glands quit responding, and apparently his adrenal glands had quit responding. Whether he had had any primary problem with his adrenals, I guess we'll never know because they apparently they were they were not part of the autopsy. Uh, but uh, the way we kind of had some hint that something was going on, as I say, we we were aware of all the noise in the press. Or some of the noise in the press. Somewhere in Congress within a few months before the president's assassination, there had been a discussion where somebody had said that the president had Addison's disease and Bobby Kennedy had said, Addison's disease is caused by tuberculosis. My brother's never had tuberculosis, therefore my brother doesn't have Addison's disease. Well, the logic is is there, but the logic to a Country Boy is that that that's a little evasive, right? And so, our uh, we kind of was kind of common knowledge that the president had adrenaline. Well, i been in the press, I can recall yeah. that. Yeah,
1: yes, those rumors.
2: So, you know, those rumors that he had adrenal sufficiency were around, and so that was uh, we we happen to remember that, and so we gave him steroids, hydrocortisone, uh, early in his treatment. Normally, you would not do that to somebody who was in shock, but if they had. If your adrenal glands weren't working, you would. So but that's actually, how
0: you, tuberculosis is not, Addison's disease and tuberculosis are not connected. Well, you,
2: medicine's funny business. See, there's, there are, phys, I know you, you guys, we're, okay, tapes running short. There's physiologic diagnosis, adrenal insufficiency. Okay, that means adrenals aren't working. Uh, then we sometimes name diseases, right? Addison's disease is named after Dr. Addison. And Dr. Addison described adrenal insufficiency in people who had had tuberculosis and destroyed their adrenal glands. So in literally speaking, Addison's disease is adrenal insufficiency caused by tuberculosis. And literally speaking, President Kennedy did did not have Addison's disease, but he still had adrenal insufficiency. See the difference, it's uh, eponyms versus physiologic uh, description.
0: I've heard that had you not done that, had you not given him those injections for that abscess disease, that even if you had saved him, he would have had problems?
2: Well, well, what probably would have happened if he really had adrenal insufficiency, and we think he did, that he never would have responded to the shock. He never would have come out of shock. Or at least it would have been much more difficult to get his circulation going. Because what the adrenals do when you get stressed is they kick out uh, cortisone and, and uh, other things which help your body respond. So it would have made it much more difficult for, for him to come out of shock. Uh, but it but had he lived over it, then then it, uh, he would have still needed steroids long term. But it wouldn't have been there would have been no uh, injury any organ injury from from not getting the steroids. But they would have been important to getting him to survive. It,
0: you've been a little modest. It really
2: was you who remembered this. That, in that yeah. Team. yeah, but that's, that's what a team's about, right? And everybody pitches in. And uh, and actually, he would have gotten them anyway, because um, Admiral Berkeley came in late in the resuscitation, carrying vials of hydrocortisone to make sure the president got them. Uh, he he. Had, Again, his, his car had been separated. Who was that? Admiral? Admiral was the f- presi- president's personal physician. Was traveling with him. Yes. Traveling with him. But he was two or three cars back. So it, they got separated in the in the uh, traffic, et cetera, and all the, the melee.
1: And well, so I think he, the rest of the motorcade diverted to the uh, Trade Center. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Th- yeah. So, and then people had to scramble to get over to the hospital. So I, and
2: it took him, I know it was late in the resuscitation when he came and said, give the president uh, hydrocortisone, but then it was too late and but then we'd already given it. But
0: uh, he was pleased to note that you... Yeah, right.
1: One of the other issues with uh, some of the conspiracy theorists relates to the how his body was removed from Parkland and uh, the question about a switch of a body bag or something, you know, anything about that at all? I really don't. I I mean I just have you were not in the room when he wasn't was in the
2: room. We sort of left. I wasn't even aware that when he left. I was just aware that he had left. There's there's one thing which Dr. Montgomery and I were talking about, which which is
1: an inaccuracy in our records. Which i let us clarify to that. Attention. That was kind of the next yeah. step in this. Okay. Was uh, uh, for you to add anything uh, we haven't touched on, yes. certainly.
2: If you look at what we wrote, we said that the the scalp wound was occipital occipital parietal, which would, and the occipital bone is way back in the back, and the parietal bone is here. Uh, again, those notes were written after the president had gone, we were kind of trying to remember. And uh, it didn't occur to us that this was a big forensic record we were writing. We thought we were writing a medical record, so, you know, could have said head wound, that would have been a lot better. Uh, if, if the occipital bone's way back here, and the president's laying on that, you couldn't see the whole wound,
1: right? That could, could you kind of turn your head and yeah. kind of show? matter of fact, there's okay. a little
2: knot on the back of your head, oh, okay. and that's kind of where the occipital bone reaches its peak, right in the middle. There's, everybody's a little knot on the back of their head. Okay. So occipital parietal would have really been right back there. And literally speaking, um, number one, that would have been very difficult to explain as a exit wound if you were shot from the back. And number two, you couldn't have seen it with the patient lying on his back on a gurney. So if... The recollection that we could see the whole wound from the front is accurate, and I think it is. Then, then our what we should have written down was temporal parietal rather than occipital parietal. Um, part of that is is learning through the years that a medical record is much more than a medical record. It becomes a forensic record. Sometimes it's a billing record. Uh, so, uh, so that I wish I wish we'd have been more precise in our writing. We weren't.